Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 163, recording this on Wednesday. We're now in December, Rafe, 2nd of December 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. 2015 has flown by uh, and we've been talking about, it feels like, Windows 10 Mobile for, for most of the year, but actually we're now in a position to talk about the devices and it's sort of arriving in shop shelves, not just uh, in the US, but around the world right now. So I suspect this uh, podcast is going to be a bit heavy on the the topic that we've been talking about. It feels like for the last month or so, Steve, but uh, the new Lumia devices. Yes. No, this is very a bit of a Freudian slip and uh, I, I, I fixed your typo very quickly, of course, but it's just interesting to mention this, that when you, we did the um, initial gallery of the 950XL, you did refer to it as the Nokia Lumia. And, and this is I, it's kind of a Freudian slip because it, it, everything about the design language, I'm, just, I'm holding it now in my hand, these two Lumias, the 950 and 950XL, they do feel like the same sort of Nokia design that we saw in things like the 640, the 630 before them. Um, these do not feel like Microsoft designs and everything we're now hearing uh, on the grapevine is that, yes, these are the these are at last, the very last of the Nokia designs and anything from this point onwards hopefully will be fresh design thinking from the Microsoft stable. Does, does that sound fair enough? I think um, if you want to boil it down, that's, that's essentially right. However, I, I think some of the discussion around this rather oversimplifies thing and it probably focuses too much on the external design what i think it is fair to say is that the 950 and the 950xl would have been in development um before microsoft kind of completed that acquisition of the device and services division although much of the work would have been completed under the microsoft regime but of course it takes a while for that you know to have any effect and in, indeed you know the teams that designed it very few of them would have been you know purely from microsoft most of them would have had that nokia ancestry as we go forward you know the influence of microsoft is felt more and more and indeed we know that uh, a lot of the people who work for nokia have um, either left the company or been made redundant and i think there's more of a, a mix now and all this stuff around surface it talks about the surface team um and you know, obviously, I think from a design point of view, they are going to be very strong on leading that. But make no mistake, a lot of the technology inside it is still going to be that Nokia stuff. And I think the imaging stuff is a good example of that. So it, it still feels like a bit of a misnomer to sort of draw a completely you know, discrete line between the two. Um, but I think it is fair to say that the sort of the next generation of flagships will be the ones that would have been kind of um, specified, would have been outlined, would have been bought from kind of a glimmer in someone's eye to a real device wholly under the kind of the Microsoft stable way of doing things. And, and, and make no mistake, there have been significant changes in the company. Um, and, you know, I think symbolic of that is that, you know, people are talking about them as the surface um, devices. Uh, and indeed that whole effort is being described as being led by Panos Panos. And no doubt he's got sign off, but there'll be plenty of other people. I think it's always dangerous to identify any product with, with one person when it really is a team effort for such uh, complex devices. But in the sense that he took over the devices group you know, earlier in the summer, you know, most of the work on these devices would have been done long before he arrived. You know, actually the next generation would have been started as well in the internals, but um, you know, he and his team and I think his acolytes around him will be much more responsible for the design going forward. I mean, actually, to me, there's something rather sad about that because I think, uh, honestly, 
uh, the Nokia teams and you know, going back to Nokia have a much better pedigree in design than Microsoft do. But equally, there are those who are, you know, like Windows Phone, now Windows 10 Mobile, who very much come from the Microsoft side of things. So I think that depends on, you know, it's a circumstance of your background, where you've come from as someone who likes that design language, that products. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's just irrelevant anyway, because they don't get you know, involved or they're not invested in that way. But, you know, I'm probably betraying my ancestry as having been someone who, you know, followed Nokia for a long time. I kind of like that design language. I guess it's what I'm familiar with. Um, you know, I use a, a Surface Pro device and I really like the design and merit on that, but it is something very different to, to the Lumia design language. It's, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's more masculine, but there is an element to it. Yes, there is heavier use of uh, metals and you know, it, it, you could simplify it down and say it's US versus Europe, but it, it's not about that. It's two very different schools of thought and I think both are different, but clearly there's going to be a point where people are going to draw this dividing line. And I suppose this is the accurate place to do it with the external thing. It, it just, I don't want to get too carried away by that simply because there's so much more to a phone than just the external appearance. And then the Lumia 950, which will, and the XL, which we'll get on to in a minute, is a good example of that incredibly capable and well-specified devices. And I think some of the question marks have been around this have been around the design, which, you know, having seen them, I've described as um, sort of conservative. Um, uh, that, I think, is more an artifact of just how much has been pushed at the upper end with things like the iPhone, you know, the Galaxy uh, 6, particularly the Edge version, but also some of the stuff that HTC has done with the M9. Um, you know, when uh, Nokia broke ground with that fabulous design language originally with the N9 and then subsequently with the Lumia 800 and the 920 and all of those devices, you know, that was quite groundbreaking at the time. Um, and in one sense, the, the 950s are a little bit of a step back from that because um, they are this sort of what feels like mid-tier, the fact that they you can take the back off and the batteries and all that. It's not the unibody kind of stuff we saw in that fabulous design language. I actually have mixed feelings about this because I think there's a lot to like about it, even so. But I don't think anyone could really say that, you know, this is the devices that feel really premium in the hand. But uh, you've actually spent a bit of time with them now, Steve. So you're perhaps the better person to answer answer that question. You know, do, do the kind of outsides belie actually what is a very powerful internal and very capable device? Uh, they absolutely do. Um, I'm holding the 950 in my hand at the moment, and uh, I have to say it's it's very solid. It, it feels almost unibody, even though you know the back comes off. In fact, you have to pry the back off with some force, which is good to see, actually. The 950XL, the bigger device, does creak a bit, and I'm wondering whether it's just an early production device or whether they're going to have to put some foam in underneath the battery cover, which they, of course, have done on previous devices to stop creaking issues. I have to kind of say, Rafe, that you and Andy Hagen kind of sold us all a dummy, in my opinion. Um, both both of you independently said you'd held both devices on, on a display environment, admittedly, rather than using them in real life. And it said that they don't feel that different in the hand and that, that I therefore um, kind of expanded on that and said, well, surely everyone will go for the highest spec device then. For an extra £50, you get you know, the Gorilla Glass 4 and the faster processor and so on. In, in practice, I've tried using each of these devices now for a day or so um, at non-stop, and the 950 just feels absolutely perfect. The 950 nails the same form factor as things like the 925 before it, the 830, which we all love, etc. The 950XL kind of gets up towards the 1520 size. It's not quite there, but it's just a bit too wide to hold it comfortably, securely, to carry it in every pocket, in every circumstance. Um, and, and as such, it becomes a two-handed device, and a device you kind of have to keep hold with care and be careful about the 950 just feels so much more 
as if I could carry it all day long and not worry about it all day long and never worry about the size, the weight, the convenience. I can use it one-handed. And as such, I think in a competitive environment environment where most smartphones on the market now, you have a larger device that's highly specified and a smaller sister device that's you know horribly crippled. I think Sony and the Xperia Z5 and the ZZ range are the only real exceptions. Um, to have a device which is almost top-end flagship specs in a very, very manageable form factor in the shape of the 950XL, I, th- I think that in itself is a, a major plus point. And uh, for all the people listening to this, obviously they can read the reviews on the site. So far I've done the 950XL part one, if only because I thought people would be more interested in that higher spec device <laughs> covering that one first. But I do suspect that something like 70 to 80% of the, the, the normal Lumia, the normal Windows Phone users who, who want to upgrade their hardware, I think, I think they'd be best off going for the 950 and they'll save you know, 50, 60 pounds along the way. Yeah, it's interesting you say this because you've had a chance to play with them for a bit longer. We should say that um, thank you to Chloe for actually loaning these uh, retail devices uh, to us. We'll actually be doing some more in-depth coverage and kind of longer-term testing, hopefully with some uh, loan devices from Microsoft themselves in in due course. Um, But this has given us a chance to kind of give you a first taste of what these devices uh, are like. And we should clarify the point here. It's Steve that's got the devices. I've got, I, I'm talking off the basis of having played with them a few times uh, and not having them in the hand right now. Um, I think I recall saying that when I played with the devices, I kind of wanted the 950XL stuff in the body of the 950. And I would, you know, still maintain that because it is, <laughs> you, you suggested that there's a slightly better processor, liquid cooling, just a few bits and pieces. In actuality, I'm not sure that makes that much difference. And so for me, you know, we do now have a smartphone world where you're divided into kind of people who want a kind of what still feels like a large screen device, but sort of a a reasonable screen device that allows one-handed usage pretty easily. And then the fablet category, which I start to think of kind of 5.5 inches and up, um, of which, of course, the 950XL falls into that. And and some people clearly prefer, you know, to have a, a larger screen device. And we're seeing this right across the range from a lot of the manufacturers, you know, um, and actually, you know, Samsung, I think, were the ones that pioneered this with the the Note range. But, um, you know, Nokia followed suit with things like the 1520 and the 1320. And, of course, Apple have done the, you know, the 6 and the 6 Plus. Um, we're also seeing Samsung do it with its kind of Plus versions of phone, you know, the H Plus being kind of the most recent example of that as well. And, it does feel like there's two categories of devices now. And as you said, quite often the the smaller screen, and I say that in inverted commas because it's still quite big, um, particularly for people who are used to kind of smaller screens, um, there, there's a cut down on the specification. And even the 950 suffers a bit from this, but you're right. Um, increasingly, it does feel like there's been a trend not to do that. And so the compact or the mini versions um, are suffering less this time round. And Sony was one of the first to do that but you know it's also um it's also apple and some of the chinese manufacturers also been pretty good about that so yes i mean i i kind of stand by my you know the 950xl is still the flagship and actually i don't think there's a massive difference between them it'll be interesting i mean if you actually hold them in in the hand seat is it fair to say there's a smaller difference between the 950 and 950xl than say something like the 930 and the 1520 um in that the the 950XL actually feels probably closer in some ways to um, the the 950 and the 930 than it does to the 1520, which really, as we've said before, that six inches is quite out of range in some ways. 
Yeah, absolutely true. In fact, quite often I've got the two devices sitting here and if I'm not careful, I can pick up the wrong one. I reach for the 950 because that's my favourite and I pick up the wrong one. And actually, not, it's not until I look at the button arrangement on that right-hand side that I, I notice I've picked up the wrong device. They are that close. But once you, once you hold them in the hand, there's, there's this five millimetres difference in the width. And it's the width that's critical. The, the, the length is, is irrelevant. How far it sticks out the top of your hand is irrelevant. It's how wide it is and how thick it is. And it's, the thickness is just fine and the, the witness, width is just fine as well. Um, just, just going to the, my assessment of the 950XL, let's take it, that one first because I did kind of complete the review part one. I, I described it as, quote, stunningly competent, by which I meant that uh, it is absolutely everything that most of us on this podcast and this, this our site have been asking for for years now almost. Anyway, it is the ultimate Windows phone. It's the ultimate in, in that evolution. And we get... Uh, almost every trick that Nokia, the ex-Nokia engineers have learned along the way in terms of Qi charging and now you can replace the battery as well. Um, at the same time, it's not stunning in the way that, for example, you mentioned the Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge or an Edge, um, uh, Edge Plus were. You pick up that device and you think, wow, this is just an incredible piece of hardware. Never mind touch was never stunning piece of hardware you pick up the 950 xl um, just take that as an example not only has uh, microsoft just shipped it in black and white which i think is a bit of a mis- uh, misstep but there we are so it, al- it it already looks boring in terms of colors you've then got a completely flat front with no curves no 2.5d glass as we saw on things like lumia 930 and 830 which is a bit of a shame um, and you've then got the you know, quite boring slab side that there is there's nothing whatsoever that screams this is a premium, this is a top end phone. Um, the the prices people are charging. I mean, I know Amazon are going down to four hundred and sixty five pound now, but uh, most retailers are selling it around the five hundred pound mark, although that will come down, including VAT in the UK. So we are still talking about a kind of pseudo premium price, and that may come down to say four fifty across the board, but it's still a lot of money for something which you pick up and you think, well. It doesn't feel premium. At the same time, there's balance by what I just said. It's stunningly competent. It is absolutely everything you could ask of it, including running our favorite OS. Very, 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 very well indeed. And it's blazingly fast. So I don't know. Make of that verdict what you will, Rafe. I guess it depends where you're coming from and uh, what your, uh, your axe to grind is. Yeah, I th- and I think this is the crucial point uh, for people thinking about picking up this device. There are some obvious comparisons to make with other high-end devices, but if you want a Windows 10 mobile device, this is the best one that there's ever been. You know, no question about it. It just does feel a little bit disappointing that whether you call it conservative design or it just feels a bit too safe. You know, when you look at other high-end devices, you kind of understand why you're paying a premium for them. And we've kind of commented before that actually for most people, a mid-tier device will be perfectly sufficient. Um, and we're now in this situation where it feels like you're paying a premium because of the price, but you're not really getting that standout design, which you kind of expect. And, you know, you put, put up the 950 or 950XL against the 830. And honestly, in some ways, the 830 feels a little bit more, more premium, which is ironic <laughs> given the, the relative positioning of it. I mean, I don't want to be too hard on it um, because, you know, it's been a long time coming, but it, it does honestly feel like there was a, a missed opportunity and you sort of wonder where, you know, where has the cost up gone on this? Is it because they're not expecting to sell very many and so maybe the economies of scale aren't, aren't so much at play, but then you go, actually, it's maybe a hundred pounds less than its equivalent flagships and, and probably a hundred pounds does explain you know, how, how you get to a, a more premium design. I mean, the thing that people may not realise is, you know, it, 
the costs involved aren't actually that fast. Even sort of doing a unibody design, it's not massively expensive. I mean, yes, it's maybe 20 or 30 pounds to do something like that. And obviously it depends on what we're talking about. And that will then translate into maybe 80, 100 pounds in the actual price of the product because of margins and everything else like that. Um, so it just feels like that that's missing because, you know, there's a lot of things that are quite premium about it. I mean, you mentioned the uh, Gorilla Glass 4, for example, and the camera module, the memory inside the phone. That's actually quite generous. Um, so, it, it, uh, you know, it's a really interesting one to think about. So I, I would say if people are thinking about buying this, they definitely need to go and see it and sort of decide whether that's something they can live with as their day-to-day phone because, you know, as much as I might want it to be otherwise, kind of looks and design are a very important part because this is a very personal item, which in a sense is a, you know, maybe fashion statement is a bit too strong, but it's certainly part of your, your personal identity. Um, so I think the other question we should, you know, just address here, Steve, is you, you've described it as a fantastic uh, Windows phone or Windows 10 mobile device. And what about people who uh, may be looking at coming to Windows for the first time as a mobile device? Do you think it has something to offer there or is this really one that's for, you know, the, someone who's already in the ecosystem or who really likes Microsoft and their kind of mobile devices to date? It's interesting. You mentioned coming to, you know, sort of smartphones for the first time. And I I don't think you actually meant someone coming from a feature phone because there aren't that many people in that position. I've been out and about today and the number of grannies and grandpas I saw using Samsung Galaxy S5s and, you know, Apple iPhones and Moto Gs. And, and there's, just, there's almost no concept, really, of people using feature phones anymore. So almost everyone's coming from a smartphone of some kind. Um, I'd like to think that there was some kind of upgrade an attraction from somebody using, for example, an older Android device like a Galaxy S3, which has really come to the end of its life. It's very limited and crippled in terms of RAM. They might look ahead and think, well, I've been enjoying Windows 10 on the desktop and laptop, and oh, look, the, the Lumia 950 there, I can afford it. Uh, and it looks very fast, and they can try it in the shop and think, this is this is friendly, this is fun, this is foolproof. And I'd like to think that there were enough people there to to, to, to help the, the, the millions of sales. But part of me thinks that it's, that's kind of a hard sell, really. Once someone's got their Google and Gmail address and they're ensconced in Android or they've got their uh, uh, Apple address and Apple ID and they're in the iPhone ecosystem, to try and drag them out of that to, to, to rebuy applications and to try and find equivalents for first-party apps that actually don't exist on Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile, that is kind of a hard sell. And that's what I was getting at in my conclusions through review. I, I do think that the Microsoft's aim here isn't to take the world by storm with these two devices. If they tried, if they w- wanted to do that, they would have priced them and said, okay, well, these are lost leaders. We're going to take the market by storm. Lumia 950 is going out at 250, the 950 XL at 299. And at that price, I think a lot of people would have been seriously impressed and tempted to, to make the switch or at least try and make the switch. At the current prices, I think they're, they're going down what we've previously referred to as the nexus route showing this is this is what our mobile os can do this is what windows 10 can do on mobile these are very competent very fast devices um and you know maybe in 2016 there will be a panos pane um authorized surface phone made of running an intel processor made of metal who knows i suspect if it does happen it will be towards the end of next year which means that these two devices are the ones that's going to carry the candle i just don't think they're necessarily carrying the candle out that far into the android and ios worlds yeah i agree absolutely with you i think this is definitely one for people who are you know, whether you say embedded in the Microsoft ecosystem or who are looking to upgrade an existing Windows phone device, it's really hard to make a recommendation that you should switch to this from an Android or an iPhone device, if we're being completely honest. Um, I think that's very much from a consumer point of view. 
the enterprise argument maybe gets a bit different because that can be very much about integration with existing systems and you know it may not you know there, there may not be that same degree of choice um I think the interesting part of this is, you know, it does leave Microsoft's kind of mobile strategy looking a, a little bit well, dodgy, frankly. I mean, I think we've been pretty forgiving in the past. And we said, you know, wait for the next one or make, wait for the next version. Um, uh, you know, I think our critics would probably say we've been making excuses for them for a long time. And I think <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends which way you're looking out, out of the uh, the mirror, if you like. But I think you do have to, as we've kind of already done with Windows 10 Mobile, look back to that strategy changing the sum and say that that was a reset. And, you know, Microsoft, you know, isn't the force um, that, my, uh, that that Nokia was. And certainly even in the early days of Windows Home, where there was that optimism about it becoming the third platform, I, I don't think that still applies anymore. You know, does that mean we should be ultra critical of Microsoft? I think you certainly can be for its uh, past mistakes and some of the things it chose to do with uh, Windows Phone and equally where you can talk about, about knocking that same breath. Um, but if you try and look at it in the current context, are they making the right decision now? And what would the alternative be to just sort of step out of the market altogether? Um, some might argue that it should be the approach that they should take and concentrate all their efforts on Android and iOS. You know, I think that misses an opportunity and sort of lacks ambition. And so, you know, in that context, are, is releasing these devices the right thing to do? Yeah, I think it is. Um, have they got it right? It doesn't feel like a home run to me. But at the same time, I come back to what you said, you know, stunningly competent devices, you know, very strong indeed. Um, and the and the one exception to that really is the app ecosystem, which that wasn't going to change whatever the devices look like. And, you know, the conservatism of the device, the designs, which we've, we've talked about a bit here, but um, having been sort of fairly looking not down our noses, but being a bit negative, I do want to talk about something a bit on the positive side. I know, Steve, that you in the first part started talking about the imaging um, and we're going to have a review part that sort of goes into a bit more detail on that shortly. But, you know, what's what's your take on the imaging? Have Is, is there a step forward here, you know, and how good is it? A bit more detail. A bit more detail. I'll have you know it's exhaustive detail, right? I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I misspoke. Yeah. <laughs> part two of uh, the uh, review is coming up. And of course, I'll do this the part two as a joint review for the, covering the 950 as well as 950XL. They essentially do have identical cameras. There is a slight increase in performance for the 950XL because that Snapdragon 810 does kind of power the uh, the renderings, rendering behind the scenes. So when you're doing rich capture blending and uh, you change the, the blend of the different shots, all of that happens faster, about 30% faster on the bigger device. And I don't think that's really a, an important enough distinction to choose between the device choose for other reasons rather than that but essentially the cameras are identical in terms of results um i would say i've been out and about testing the whole of today and most of yesterday um i've been looking specifically at the 930 which i think is the de obvious uh, device that people will upgrade from uh, and also the 930 did sell in reasonable numbers so there are enough people out there the 1020 of course has the camera flagship from days days gone by and uh, the, yes, the 950 and 950XL. I will be testing against the very best Android phone, the LG G4. That's got the best uh, L, um, Android camera unit at the moment, and that's arriving tomorrow. So look for that, probably a feature on that early next week. So far, Rafe, I have to say that across all images, all crops, all results, I would say the 1020 is still the king. Um, <laughs> now, which is going to surprise, oh, <laughs> surprise a few people, but there's a big caveat. The huge caveat is the fact that after using the 950, and in fact, well, even using the 930, but especially using the 950 um, range, 
going back to 1020 is like walking through molasses. I mean, it, it's it's so slow. I, when you eat a 1020 lever, you kind of forgive it. You kind of bear with the speed of the camera. It takes three seconds to launch, another uh, three or four seconds shot to shot time. And you, you kind of bear with it. You know you're getting great results. But uh, I will I will admit that uh, the the speed of the modern devices is so much better, um, and the fact that the qu- image quality on the nine fifty and nine fifty XL is so close to ten twenty most of the time. I mean, it is literally within ten percent a lot of the time. Um, if you can get that close and be almost a hundred times faster, it's it's more than an order of magnitude. It's almost two orders of magnitude faster, and you've got the extra tricks like the you know, the rich capture modes, and you've got the four K video capture. Then you take the eight megapixel stills from etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that runs really smoothly, really quickly. I would say that uh, if you to say Steve, which is the best Windows um, mobile, you know Windows ten mobile, Windows phone uh, camera phone at the moment, I would have to say the nine fifty range does walk it by quite a margin, despite not producing images that are absolutely the best because it's you will guess get more images that come out better because you're quicker off the mark it's not just about catching kids mid-flight I and mean, i've tried a few action shots with me with unopened beer bottles <laughs> the, the usual test case and uh, yes the xenon still wins but it only wins by a tiny margin the uh the 950 xl that is a triple led flash you've got more light and then you've got a more sensitive sensor and you've got a larger aperture letting in more light which means that um if you're at a party and you're snapping away with your lumia 950 even though you've got a an led based flash as i suggested a few podcasts ago um your, your shutter time is still in the order of enough you know, a 30th a hundredth of a second and you're still freezing enough motion that you don't get those horrible led you know blurry shots from parties that you see all over facebook so i would say yes watch out for part two i think the 1020 in terms of a sheer point score for absolute quality may just edge it i haven't added the the points up don't quote me on this it could be a close run thing but the 950 is awfully close and it's it's, they almost two magnitudes uh, orders of magnitude faster which i think is very impressive yeah and i think this is the crucial point it's actually about using it in the real world in one sense these comparisons that we do when they're just about image quality are a little bit misleading because it's the experience around taking pictures that's just as important and i think rich capture really brought that home for me and is what actually made me stop using uh, the 1020 um over some of the other devices that um we've got access to i do just want to get your kind of quick take and i i realize you've got more testing to do but does this um you know give the 950 and the 950 xl a chance of being the best camera phone on the market um when you take into account all of these factors perhaps with more of a weight towards quality from some of the pictures i've seen that you've taken and also seen from elsewhere it feels like there is really very little to choose between any of the top-end camera phones uh, when you're taking a photo in good conditions and I'm sort of talking about bright light and there will be differences between how different ones handle portraits or say landscape shots and different kinds of scenes um, but where you do see the difference is where it gets more challenging and low light is the classic example of this but I think you could also talk about action shots and where there's you know high levels of varying contrast and it does seem that the Lumia devices have an advantage there which seems a lot to be down just to the uh, expertise in the image processing and being able to identify those tricky conditions and decide what to do you know kind of make that right decision about doing all those automatic settings for you obviously this is a discussion that will run and run but given that um 
what we know about the relative makeup of these uh, camera modules in terms of the sensors and the specifications, there isn't much to choose between the top end ones. They're all using much the same technology. It's not a 10, 20 generational leap ahead, for example. And, you know, everyone's kind of, or a lot of people are taking that oversampling approach. But it does feel like there's still an advantage for the Microsoft teams in the software terms, but we may not really be able to see that borne out until you've used it a little while. And in one sense, that's a very subjective notion anyway, because it depends very much on what you choose to take pictures of when you're doing your tests. Um, we know from kind of day-to-day experience that people, you know, aren't the best photographers because they don't think about it. They just snap and take the picture and that that will mean lay light. It, it, it will mean taking a picture into the sun, that kind of thing. Are those the places where you're going to notice a difference with the Lumia 950? Absolutely, as you say, the uh, the underlying physical sensors, uh, even the, the the main central processors and the smartphones, now they're they're all very comparable. The LG G4's astonishing sensor, but again, um, you know, a large aperture. Uh, again, LG have a pretty good handle on image processing. I was astonished by the results in the G4, but I'm 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 prepared to call it now. I mean, even as just as my gut feel is that the Lumia 950 camera is up with the G4 across most light conditions. I mean, once you take get away from me trying to do artificial party shots with beer bottles, I mean, <laughs> once you're trying to get away from trying to demonstrate a use case for Xenon, which I'll keep banging on about till the day I die, once you get away from that, then you're kind of into a more level playing field. I do think you're absolutely right. I think the the interface. For the user and the user user experience on these Lumias, uh, as we have had, of course, with Lumia Camera for and previously Nokia Pro Camera, as, as it was called, um, with the concentric ring interface where you can change all the settings really, really quickly, and red bars appear if you make a horrible mistake. To have the the, the rich capture has really opened my eyes in the last year or so. It started off with just you know HDR, high, which we've been quite used to on things like the iPhone, really punching up the colours and contrast and, and the dynamic range. Um, but then adding the dynamic flash where you can choose the blend of flash and non-flash. Again, we've had this on things like the 830 and the 930, etc. Uh, but now you've got this extra thing, dynamic exposure, where it when it when it detects in, in fairly low-light conditions that there is a moving object in the scene, it will specifically take a batch of shots and take the, the, the one with the shorter shutter time to try and freeze that motion because it's detecting movement between the shots. So there's a lot of very clever things going on. I think it will take me actually using one of these devices out and about in real life with real family occasions, etc. And of course, getting data uh, points in from our listeners and readers before we really know just how much that gives it gives the devices an advantage. But uh, I have to say, I, I'm I'm very at home with the Lumia camera interface. I'm very at home with rich capture. And I should make this the point I made in the review again. I'll make it and emphasize it. Up till now, rich capture has been kind of this magical thing you turn on. You have to think about turning on, knowing that every photo you take is going to take up five times the disk space. Uh, and extra processing time on the 830. It's about 30 seconds, isn't it, under Windows 10 Mobile, just to to blend those JPEGs together. Here, not only is all of that much faster, but the uh, it, the rich capture mode is automatic. In other words, there's, it, there's no on and off. It's either off or it's on automatic. And in automatic mode, if you're taking a shot which has no need whatsoever of HDR, for example, if they you know just average UK light conditions, it will it won't take the the multiple exposures. You don't get that loss in uh, processor resources. You don't get that loss in disk space. You just get a straightforward JPEG. Um, if you do need the HDR, it does it. If you need the dynamic flash, it does it. It basically you you set it and forget it, and and it makes a big difference. It means you could basically go out into the world now, Rafe, in family occasions, holidays, whatever, and you just leave rich capture on all the time. And the camera itself, the camera algorithms, the software, they do all the decisions, decisions, 
they decide what to do and most of the time they actually get it right just occasionally you take a shot of a valley and with sun sun on it you think oh i'll just adjust that later and then you realize that the software decided it wasn't worthy of hdr and you've got no way of adjusting it but there's always lumia creative studio but on the whole i've been i've been very impressed by the decisions it's made and uh, i think having that as just on automatically all the time um i think that's a really sensible option but a sensible thing for microsoft to have done yeah, I think we've talked about it many times over the years, how some of these fancy modes, and it's everything from HDR to panorama. And you know, we talked about lenses, and we like that as a way of kind of extending the functionality of the camera, but nothing beats the kind of automatic settings out of the box. And obviously, there's still something in that you have to turn on this kind of automatic mode for rich capture, but obviously, it remembers being in, in that mode. And you know, we'll use that subsequently. You don't have to do anything apart from press the camera capture button either on the, the key or on the screen. And I think that's absolutely crucial because nearly every other, you know, camera phone I can think of, there is still some manual intervention required. And it seems like a really, you know, picky point to pick up on this. But when you start using it, most people just do use the kind of automatic mode and it's point and shoot. Um, the fact you've got access to the settings is great. And for people who know what they're doing and want to play around with them, fantastic. Uh, but you haven't been able to take advantage of some of the computation of photography in past devices simply because, you know, you have to think before you take the picture to switch it on. And it's, it's actually with the same with the living images. That was impressive because it just happened. And you've you know, obviously got the same thing on the most recent iPhone and actually HTC has done it on some of their devices as well. Um, and, you know, to me, those, kind of innovations in camera phones and particularly around the software and this you know, how the camera works only really becomes mainstream and something that's really interesting when it becomes part of the default flow and what i mean by that is that you don't have to think about doing anything special it just happens even here as i say there's still in theory a setting where you have to switch it to automatic but you know that that's pretty easy and i, I wonder if in time actually that might not become kind of the default out of the box um you know it's just like that all the time i suspect it's not like that just because of the uh you suggest the resource overhead that it does imply um but yeah i think that's a really sensible decision really great to see it and i think it is worth saying that actually this um the various dynamic range and the contrast and the the kind of the flash stuff on here uh microsoft takes it beyond what you get on other devices because it is adjustable after the fact but it does make a very good intelligent guess first time around and from my experience it's actually making the best guess that you know i see amongst all those devices and it, it comes back to that point that you made you're being able to make that automatic decision about you know, detecting something moving in a you know, low light image or the contrast or whatever it happens to be you need to get that right you need to get it right enough of the time that people come to rely on it and just know that every time they take their phone out they'll get a decent shot and i think even with the best camera phones now there are times when you think ah, that that camera that picture didn't come out quite how i like that i think what we're seeing now in camera phones is you know, there's yeah, some improvement in quality, and I'm sure there'll be technologies along that will, will blow us away. But actually, it's far more about making sure every single picture you take is a good one. And there's there's still work to do there, because even with the best camera phones, you still get dud pictures. And that's because the, it got the settings wrong, or, you know, actually, it's more often the fault of the photographer. But it's actually the, the phone's job to fix that as well. Um, I'm sure, Steve, we're going to talk much more about imaging um, in, once you've had a bit more experience with it. And there are, as you say, uh, a couple of review parts coming around that. I think another area that people were very interested in as kind of a new thing on these hardware that we haven't seen on kind of 
playing with Windows 10 Mobile as part of the Insiders program is, is Windows Hello. So do you want to give a, a quick a bit of recap on your review on that section? Perhaps not um, all it was uh, cracked up to be. Well, very well. I will do this, but very quickly because I want to. A, I want to return to it next week, and also we have some listeners' um, letters which I want to return we to next week. And we're running out of time, but very quickly, I did want to just get your thoughts on my thoughts, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> um, listen, we've played the competition where you have fi- biometrics, you have fin- a fingerprint scanner, and basically you you stick your finger on the scanner or the power button or however it's been implemented as you pick it out of the pocket, and by the time the phone is facing you, it's unlocked and it's waiting for your payment your whatever you want to do with the phone it's all it's all just happens um microsoft has only gone down the iris recognition front and while it's very cool and while it works very well if you don't wear glasses which unfortunately will uh, rather hit you and i um <laughs> while it, it it does work very in a very cool way it does take a couple of seconds and you have to be looking at it so you basically one second to get a phone out of your pocket or your case and then another two seconds looking at it and it says hello rafe at the end of that but that's three seconds now if you're doing this 30 40 50 times a day that's an awful lot of time wasted i i really wish microsoft had said given us the iris stuff but also given us a fingerprint scanner perhaps on the power button on the side like sony did with the xperia z5 range i do feel that uh, in today's world where payment is going to be is going to be a thing where you do nfc to actually you know to, to to make the transaction and with some kind of biometric authentication going along with it to have to as richard yates says on, on our story if you have to do a japanese style bow over your phone just to, you know you place the, the the phone on the the reader on the the terminal and bow over it like a japanese um, businessman and then it authenticates you about five seconds later it's just it's too much it's not well enough thought out i do think that this is kind of biometrics for um, high-tech demonstrator cool technology sake not biometrics for the sake of you know practical day-to-day use yeah I, I i agree with your thoughts biometrics absolutely have a place on phones and i think you know the touch id um from apple was great but we've also seen it on the imprint device and some other devices i still think um, apple probably have the edge and actually the most recent version on the six edge which i think is the third generation of touch id incredibly impressive because basically you know you're pressing a button and by the time you know, it's depressed and monitored. It's already unlocked the device. I mean, I've even had some people complain to me that they can no longer read their kind of lock screen notifications and they find themselves pressing it with their fingernail in order to get that, which is <laughs> the unintended consequence. But the fact that Windows Hello takes a couple of seconds, it's just not good enough at this stage. Now, it may be that that can be improved in software over the time. It's kind of notable that uh, Microsoft has been referring to this as a beta version. Honestly, I think this is an example of where Microsoft has tried to leverage its technology from elsewhere, maybe because it didn't want to pay the patents or there was some you know, problem with integrating finger recognition. Um, and obviously, Windows Hello does come from the desktop world. And actually, there it makes perfect sense because typically with a, uh, a desktop or uh, a laptop, you've got a webcam on the top of the screen. You look at it as your sort of logging into the phone and it will we'll do it in enough time and you've got a bit of extra processing power there um, to be able to unlock it as you kind of sit down and look at the pc on the phone it just doesn't work the same way because as you quite rightly say you actually have to get it out of your pocket and look at it you know with any of the fingerprint recognition you can always do that stuff as it comes out of the pocket before you even look at it and i think the places where you'll start using it other than to unlock the phone i think payments is the obvious example it's going to be very awkward to kind of look at your phone to authorize the payment or whatever it is so honestly i, I think it's a mistake um i suspect that microsoft included this because it felt the need for biometrics and you know maybe, maybe we're being unfair because it, it's going to improve over time but 
it doesn't feel like the right biometric technology for a smartphone. I think the the race has already been won with fingerprints and the kind of iris recognition, well suited to the laptop where actually actually finding a fingerprint sensor and pressing it might be a bit of a pain. Uh, but on the phone, you know, you're kind of having to do that. You do hold it in the hand. Your thumb is always going to be near something or other or your finger or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah, so it feels like the wrong choice for me. I'm, I'm prepared to, you know, try it out and I'll obviously be using it in due course. Um, but I suspect I'll find myself reaching for that unlock button and tapping in a pin code because that'll be quicker than waiting for when it does hello to work, especially as uh, I am one of the glasses whereas as you uh, as you talk about in the review. But uh, mm. so, uh, you know, we've just scratched the surface on this uh, Lumia 950 XL. We will talk about devices more in detail over the, the coming weeks and we'll welcome questions as well. So if you've got anything you particularly want us to touch on, you know, get in touch. We've got uh, Steve Luton, we'll touch in more detail in a minute, some uh, listener questions uh, for next time. But there's going to be more review coverage coming over the next few weeks um, and it's an uh, you know, exciting time. And hopefully we've kind of given you a, a, a good overview of some of the issues that we're going to be talking about and indeed kind of the core opinion on on what we think of the phone um it does come back to this thing about it's uh perhaps a conservative design or a bit of a boring design doesn't reach but still is a very very capable device but uh read our full review coverage for more and listen to the podcast a second time if that's what it takes um i'm sure this subject's (laughs) going to run and run I'm not sure anyone's. We've never ever produced an episode that's been so riveting, Rafe, that someone's had to go back and listen to it all over again. Yeah, but uh, it's nice, nice thought. So, yes, well done. <laughs> uh, I will say goodbye because it's, it's it's late here in the UK. I'm tired. Rafe's is tired. So uh, we're going to say goodbye, and we'll catch you all next week on the Insight Podcast. <laughs>